The message is glorious morning comes from the book of John, chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. And it reads like this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land but about a hundred yards off. And when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He answered him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you were old, you would reach out your hands and another would dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show the way of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. This is a blessed word from our Lord. You can be seated.
We have been for the last few weeks in a series called Misunderstanding Jesus. And so if you're new today on Easter Sunday, this is the final sermon in this series. And in this final sermon, we are privileged to encounter the life of a man named Peter. Uh, Peter's uh, story reminds me of the need and desire for everybody to have a second chance. It also reminds me of uh, my senior year in college. I was in that class that most people dread, public speaking. If you've gone to school, most folks in, uh, in undergrad have to at some point take a public speaking class. And uh, Professor Powers was her name, and she lived up to that last name. She was on a power trip, and she was uh, the professor for uh, public speaking. It was final exam time, and as I recall, uh, our final exam uh, was, it was a speech, I know that, and as I recall, it was 33% of our grade. So that is make or break, Right? not quite fair. You could have a bad day and ruin a whole semester, but that's how it was. And we went into class for uh, our speeches, a three-hour session of each member of our class standing up to give a persuasive speech. And in this persuasive speech then, or on it, you were graded, and as you were graded, it would be determined uh, there, then and there what your grade was on that few minutes speech. I don't remember mine uh, speech at all, but there is a speech I don't think I'll ever forget. This uh, girl in our class, a senior as well, trying to graduate and get out, decided that she was going to speak on why you should join the Peace Corps. And she got up, And she started her speech with these words. Today, I'm going to talk to you about why you should join the Peace Corps. And I thought, this is not good. (laughs) And she continued. And she got to Peace Corps the second time and said, Corps At which point, Professor Powers said, leave my class now, go to the library and figure out what's wrong with your speech. That's tough. So she left and class continued and she came back. And Professor Powers called her up again to do her speech. And she stood up And she said, today I am here to talk to you about why you should join the Peace Corps. And as soon as it came out of her mouth, Professor Powers said, leave my class, go to the library, figure out what's wrong with your speech, and come back. We carried on. It was break time. And at break, I thought, I'm torn. I can't cheat but she can't go down in flames like that. So what should I do? So I ran to the library and sure enough found that girl sitting between two rows of books. I don't know why she was sitting there going over her speech. You could tell she was horrified. 
I leaned down to her and I said, I just want to let you know that I agree that if somebody thinks they ought to join the Peace Corps, that's a great idea. And she looked at me and I thought, she still doesn't get it. I said, I'm just saying, I think it's a wonderful idea if somebody feels they ought to join the Peace Corps. And she went, I just left, went to class. She stood up and said, core. Otherwise, she would have been a corpse. <laughs> she would have been roasted. The reality is that she, like all of us in this room, at one point or another needed a third chance, didn't she? I want to say to you this morning, and this will fly in the face of our self-exalted ideas, we don't deserve second chances or third chances, but we get them. Uh, that's what makes that grace, isn't it? That God looks at our lives and indeed gives us more chances than we ever deserve. You see, Peter is this outspoken disciple who had used the word never. I will never deny you, he said. But Peter, standing at the trial of Jesus, was approached by a woman who recognized his Galilean dialect and asked him if he was one of the disciples. And he lied and said he wasn't. Someone else approached him during that trial and Peter again said, no. He was approached a third time. <coughs> Luke records that. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately while he was speaking, the rooster crowed and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Have you ever wept bitterly? Peter was a broken man. He loved Jesus and he failed Jesus. He loved Jesus and he denied Jesus. When we find Peter today, he's returned to fishing along with some of his disciples. It's hard to know what's going through his mind. Jesus shows up on the shore of the sea. And it is from this conversation between Jesus and Peter that we discover three realities of Jesus. First of all, that Jesus loves broken backsliders. Seven of the disciples are fishing, and they fished all night and caught nothing. Listen to Jesus' words to them. Children, do you have any fish? There's tenderness in that address. I love that he calls them children. 
So he tells them to cast their net to the other side of the boat. They do, and they catch so many fish. And when that happens, John realizes this is Jesus. And he proclaimed, it is the Lord. I love Simon Peter's response. He's a broken man. I want you to understand throughout this sermon that when we talk about uh, the response of Jesus to Peter, this response is predicated upon the reality of brokenness. Jesus responds to broken people. If you're not broken, you don't come to someone to be fixed, do you? If you're not sick, you don't go see the doctor. And if you're not spiritually broken, you won't come to Jesus to be fixed. Peter jumped out of the boat after having put on his outer garment and splashed through a hundred yards of water. to get to Jesus. I love Peter. I love his heart. I love his impulsive nature. I love his reckless abandon. The other disciples finally catch up. You see, they're hauling 153 fish, and they're big ones. And then Jesus ate breakfast with his disciples. Whatever your view is of Jesus, could you see him today as the savior of the world who loves his disciples enough to bring bread, build a fire, and cook breakfast? And these are the disciples who misunderstood Jesus. Thomas doubted. Peter denied. Peter, James, and John fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. And all but John fled when Jesus was being crucified. Jesus ate breakfast with his disciples because he loves broken backsliders. Thank you, James. He loves broken backsliders. Secondly, Jesus restores broken backsliders. They have finished breakfast, and all the disciples are gathered, but Jesus draws out Peter, and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, you don't want to miss the son of John part. That's his whole name. And every parent in the room knows when you pull out all three names, it's serious, isn't it? Jesus pulls out all three names. As a matter of fact, John writing about this uses Simon and Peter. It's important to remember that all the disciples are listening. And Jesus asked Peter a puzzling question. Do you love me more than these? Well, what does that mean? Some say it is, do you love me more than these fish? Because Peter was a fisherman. 153 large fish would be a lot of money. 
Jesus had called him once away from his boat and his fish when it was full? Is Jesus calling him away a second time from his boat and fish when it's full? That's a possibility. Others say, and this is where I think I'll land, or maybe it means both, that the question was, do you love me more than these disciples do? Now, the reason I land there is because Peter had made a bold claim in front of those disciples. It's found in John 13. Simon Peter said to him, to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will afterward. Peter had no idea what that statement meant when Jesus said it. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I'll lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter had boldly declared that he would lay down his life for Jesus in front of all the other disciples. So I think Jesus, in front of all the other disciples, is giving him an opportunity to fix it because he restores broken backsliders. Born in 1931, little Charles certainly had no idea of the way his life would go. By 1968, he had finished a stint in the Marines. He had gone to law school, graduated, and had become the attorney for President Richard Nixon. In 1971, Charles, now called Chuck Colson, authored the memo listing Nixon's major political opponents, later known as Nixon's enemies list. It was remarked that Chuck Colson would walk over his grandmother so that Nixon would be reelected. Two years later, he resigned from the embattled White House and declared that he had become a Christian. And no one believed him, it seemed. The media was skeptical. They found it convenient that now in trouble, he would come to Christ. A year later, Colson pled guilty of obstruction of justice and ended up for seven months in Alabama in a federal prison camp, serving time for his crime. When he left that prison camp, Chuck Colson said to those men, I will never forget you. He had learned some things in there that would stick with him for the rest of his life. Two years after that, he found a prison fellowship that with just, within just a few years was in a hundred countries in the world bringing Christ into prisons all over the world. 
1993, less than 20 years after his conviction and his prison time, Colson received the prized Templeton Prize, that award of a million dollars, donated it right back to his prison ministry. In 2008, he received the second highest award any citizen can receive from the President of the United States, the Citizen's Medal. Ten years ago, Colson died. At the age of 80, his ministry continues in prisons all over the world. There is no life Jesus can't change. Amen? No life. <clears throat> you may say, Jerry, you don't know what I've done. I don't have to. You may say, Jerry, you don't know where I've been. I don't have to know where you've been. Jerry, what if everyone... No. There is no life. Jesus can't change. Just this week on Wednesday, I had lunch <coughs> with a couple who's been attending our church for about four weeks now. The man, 76 years old, sat with him and his wife, went to meet them because they reached out that they wanted to be baptized. If you're a McDowell County person, you'll know who I'm talking about. John C. Hall, the electrician. He said, Jerry, sitting in this service two weeks ago, I got saved. 76 years old. Isn't that awesome? There is no life Jesus can't change. Amen? There is no pit, Corey Tim Boom said, so deep that God's grace is not deeper still. Amen? We could go around the room this morning. We could uh, give testimony to lives, uh, things of which we are ashamed. But God, in his grace, reached down and pulled us out. Jesus restores broken backsliders. Third, Jesus commissions broken backsliders. Not only does Jesus ask Peter if he loves him, he, when Peter answers, Jesus responds three times with the commission Feed my lambs, tend my sheep. Jesus called himself the good shepherd in John 10. Listen to his words. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand uh, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus, this good shepherd, asked Peter to take care of sheep that he died for. He asked Peter to take care of sheep that he died for. 
Uh, there are many parents in this room, all ages and stages. Some of you are grandparents, and some of you have your own child for the very first time. Here's how I, I, I've experienced it to a degree and understand it goes. Baby number one comes into the world and you wonder what in the world is in my arms and in my hands and you look down at that baby and uh, depending on your demeanor, think you could break it, drop it, do something, right? And so mom of child number one is quite careful about who watches that child and, and, and during, you're not just going to take that baby to any old person, are you? As a matter of fact, you may not take that baby to anyone. It's just going to be you. Baby's just going to be with you. And as I understand, and that makes a lot of sense, but then as I understand it, once baby two comes along, it's Katie bar the door. Anybody who comes, you'll hand them over. You've learned a few things, right? You've learned, hey, baby number one wasn't as fragile as you thought, and other people might could actually help take care of your child. And baby number two, you're like, whoa, I need a lot of help. Jesus died for the people he's handed over to the man who denied him. That's the commission. He paid for them with his life and called Peter to make sure that the wolf didn't come in and destroy them. Jesus commissions broken Backsliders. Peter, who denied Jesus three times and went out wet bitterly, preached the first sermon in the early church, and 3,000 people were saved that day. Jesus commissions broken backsliders. Jesus' final words to Peter are sobering. And we need to feel the weight of them, so lean in. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said to him, follow me. Peter lived 30 years after this prediction. By the time this gospel was written, Peter's dead. Most likely died in Rome under Nero. Clement of Rome, an early church leader who died in 99 AD, spoke of Peter's martyrdom. Tertullian, who lived 200 years after, also an early church father, an early church leader, spoke of Peter's death by crucifixion, that Peter was crucified. That, Tertullian wrote, was the spreading out of his hands. 
I could easily invite you to follow Jesus this morning and tell you when you do that it will be easy that God will solve all your problems and that life will be rosy. But I cannot say that. Jesus looked at Peter and said, you'll die like I did. Follow me. Let's hear from Peter himself. Before he died, somewhere between 63 and 68 AD, he wrote two letters. These quotes are from the first of his letters. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. As though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. Insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Next chapter. And after you have suffered a little while. The God of all grace, I love this, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Peter lived that, didn't he? To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Two weeks ago, a woman approached me who's been attending here for the last, I would say, four months. I've known her for years. She came to Christ earlier in life, and she wandered hard away. for 20 plus years. And she said to me, it is so good to be home. God waited 20 plus years. If you're in here this morning and you say, Jerry, I have wondered I would like to introduce you to the God of the second chance who never moved, who never stopped pursuing you. If that is you and you say, Jerry, I, I just want to, in repentance and brokenness, come back to him today. 
Nobody's looking around. This is just a chance for me to pray for you, not single you out. No, this is between you and the Lord. Would you just slip up your hand? Thank you. Thank you. I'm coming back. Thank you. Thank you. I want to pray for you, Lord. I'm going to assume that those hands were not lightly lifted. That your spirit is convicted. And Jesus, you've metaphorically speaking, cooked some breakfast and said, come eat. I pray that those who lifted their hands would, like Peter, affirm their love for you in front of others, their family, a life group, friends, and to get help with whatever calls them to stray. And then, Lord, I want to pray for anyone in the room this morning who has never come to you, never trusted you as Savior, or anyone online who has never come to you, never, trust, never trusted you. Lord, would they today confess with their mouth that you are Lord? Which means other things are not. Good things could be children, could be job, could be marriage, could be bad things, could be alcohol, other addictions. Confess you as Lord and believe in their heart that God raised you, Jesus, from the dead. They'll be saved. Holy Spirit, you do that work. We don't. We celebrate when you do, but we trust you with it. 